in the preaching row till we get to a point where there's a tiny gap that doesn't quite do the maths with Bourneville and Moseley. And it's my favourite time because it has a question mark by it and it just has your name. And it basically means you could speak on what you want. And when I see that, I think, oh, brilliant. I don't have just the passage given me. I can really... And, and you know, two weeks before, I'm thinking, ah, I long for that day. And then about a week before, I start to get a bit sulky with it and think, oh, I just wish I had a passage or something or just something, Lord, uh, to, to get me going. Um, but this week, I, I really prayed about what I feel this, this one-off talk needs to be about for us as church here at Riverside, Bourneville. And the message I really felt for my own life and for us at this point in the vision, this point in the journey, is to do with hope. It's to do with hope. You will know, I hope by now, uh, that we're having a half night of prayer this Friday, nine o'clock till one o'clock, and I'll say a little bit more about that later, as will Harry. But the reason for doing that, or one of the reasons for doing that, is as I perhaps referred earlier, we've had discouragement come our way. We have had distraction from the vision that God gave to us over two years ago, that this beautiful site that's been such a blessing to us uh, has been a part of. And uh, there was a sense of really the enemy seeming to uh, snatch a few things from us and uh, some real stress over marriages, over health, over provision in people's lives, over mental health in some of our young people, uh, even some, some suicide attempts, just some really, really desperate things where we thought, Lord, come on, you are bigger, you are higher, you are able. And uh, as I prayed, I really felt again to just build up hope in us that discouragement and distraction doesn't take a hold for us. Because we're easily swayed, aren't we? You know, we know that we're to cling on to hope uh, no matter what, to an eternal hope, to a living hope. But the things of this world crowd in on us sometimes and we can get our eyes perhaps put towards despair. Uh, On Monday, Thursday, things were rigorously tough in the week leading up to Easter. And I was cross when I looked at my diary because I thought, oh no, I'm on a retreat on Monday, Thursday and I haven't got time for it. That was my honest thought. I thought, everything is so frantic. Why have I agreed to go on a retreat on Maundy Thursday when it's Easter and we've got services to run? And I just had Jesus' gently, I think he has a laugh with me quite a lot, actually, and he just gently said, well, why do you think? Why do you think you need to get away from it with me? Because of all this that is raging around. To go and just be with me, nothing else. To walk with me to have perhaps my hope refueled. And uh, two lovely things happened, if I can cheekily just share them with you. One is very relevant, one perhaps less relevant. Uh, The first was that uh, lovely Andrea Parker, who was leading the silent retreat, welcomed us as those who wanted to go deeper and those very experienced in using silence and solitude. (laughs) Uh, Welcomed the six of us you know, that we are the experienced ones. And I started to sort of sink, thinking I'm not actually maybe as experienced in silence as you might think. Um, That's something that I don't always find that easy. And we were to be silent for two hours in the morning, silent over lunch, and then silent for two hours in the afternoon. 
And uh, we had to find, I don't know if any of you have done the jelly baby tree. Hands up if you know what I'm talking about, or others of you who just think it's weird. Okay, there's not many of us. Uh, so basically, there are all these kind of jelly babies in this picture of a tree. And you have to really look at all the different postures in this huge tree and think if you were to choose one or two of these little jelly baby figures doing different things in the tree, which one would you be on your spiritual journey right now? And there are ones lying flat on the floor, there are ones hanging on by a rope, there are ones really enjoying it, uh, there are ones nestled in, grafted in uh, to the branches. And the two I chose, one was a little one that was sitting and it almost found a seat sculpted into the wood against the bark, against the, uh, the branches of the tree, really wielded into the tree. And it just reminded me of Jesus's words when he says, abide in me in the vine in John 15. Abide in me, sit there and trust me. The second one I chose was the one that was swinging by a rope. <laughs> there were reasons that I chose that at that particular time, because I felt like I'm hanging on, Lord. I'm hanging on in leadership. I'm hanging on in my life. I'm hanging on. But the other thing I loved about that one was he looked like he was enjoying it. The others looked a bit, you know, fed up to me, but he looked like he was really having good time with it. And that is something that I believe God has gifted me with in my life, to live freely and lightly. And I just wanted to reconnect with God's spirit on that day and say, can I keep living in abundance but in hope? <coughs> to be carrying on, to live freely and lightly but carrying on in hope. And that relates to what we're going to be looking at. The second one is just a cheeky story, if I may, um, that it was, is funny to me. I was sat at this window looking out over this lovely scene. We were at the House of Bread, those of you who might know it, beautiful place to go on retreat. And I was sitting at a little table looking out over a lovely kind of pastoral scene of sheep and grass. And... Um, they had this sort of Stations of the Cross thing because it was Easter. And I was looking at that and I was just praying a prayer of confession really at this table looking out and just saying, I'm sorry when I make it about me, Jesus. It's not about me and I'm sorry about that. I'm sorry when I make it all about me. It's all about you. And I'd even got this painting by a Spanish painter of Jesus' face and I was just looking into that and just thinking it's all about you. And I opened my eyes and there were 10 biro pens all lined up, slightly OCD, on the uh, on the table and it said thank God for Judy on every pen it said that thank God for Judy and I've reached that stage in life where I need my glasses so I thought well, that clearly is wrong <laughs> that's not what I'm here for it's not what we're here for I'm having some sort of egotistical vision and I'm here to center on Jesus not on myself and even on the biro I think it's about me and actually it's about Jesus I got my glasses and I thought right now it must say thank God for Jesus thank God for Jesus it's the stations of the cross and it said thank God for Judy on every single pen in this place and I just started to laugh, and I thought, well, I don't know quite what to do, because uh, it was silent, and I had a need to share what was happening with someone, but it was silent. So I thought, well, who's the naughtiest person here? And I won't name them, but I found them, and I said, quick, come, I need to know, does this say Jesus or Judy, because I think I'm losing it. And um, she said, it's all right, it says Judy, they're everywhere. She said, there's one in the chapel, they are everywhere. All of these pens said, thank God for Judy, and they are available if anyone wants one. <laughs> because um, <laughs> apparently they didn't go very well. Um, but uh, they were everywhere. And we had a real laugh about it, and I felt that it was God having a bit of a laugh, really, 
with me, saying that actually, you know, it's about both of us. It's about his love for us and out of that, our devotion to him. I found out later that they'd had a funeral for a lady who'd been part of starting the House of the Open Door and her name was Judy. <laughs> Clearly people weren't either that thankful for her because there were lots of pens left over. But uh, anyway, those pens are available at the end if anyone uh, still wants one. Um, but I think sometimes God's humour is what keeps me going. Sometimes it's God's people like you that keep us all going. But most of all, it is a hope that is irrepressible that this is not it. That actually there's a life beyond this one. That the rope that we cling to is a living hope in Jesus. And we're going to unpack that just for the next 20 minutes really biblically. Uh, I don't know how you would define hope. I don't know what you would say about it. Here's one definition. To trust in, to look for or desire something or to expect something beneficial in the future. Now, that's a very secular definition, if you like. Um, I read of uh, a lady working uh, in signing with BSL language who had to sign for a funeral not long ago. And uh, she was signing the word hope. And as the preacher was speaking, and she was speaking to the non-hearing community, which we have a site for here at Riverside, and this was what she was doing for hope when hope was mentioned, crossing her fingers, because that's what she'd learnt as the sign for hope. And as he carried on preaching, this lady thought no, and she changed her sign to this. And as Christians, I believe that's the transaction, really, isn't it, in hope? That we maybe start out a bit like this, we've found this faith, it's amazing, hopefully it's changed our lives, it is transforming us. But the journey is not, let's hope for the best, everyone. Fingers crossed. I've got someone who texts that to me, one of my friends, quite regularly. If I'm going for something, she'll say, fingers crossed, Judy. It's not that. It's this. Hope is a confidence, a deep confidence that God's promises are true and hope does not disappoint us. Hope doesn't disappoint us eternally and it doesn't disappoint us here. Now, life disappoints us here, doesn't it? Life does, and sometimes we think, oh, hope has disappointed us. And as we unpack that, I hope to perhaps clarify some of the confusion that we might have around that. We have a hope that is stronger than death. And actually, as that signer started to uh, preach, really, and signers do preach, they're the second preacher often, she, she changed, she caught something of the Spirit that said, this is the hope that we have eternally, as she spoke at the funeral. Has that changed for us? There's a lovely poem by Emily Dickinson that says this, Hope is the thing that perches in your soul, and it sings its tune without words, and it never stops at all. There's a resilience to it, isn't there, that Paul talks about throughout the New Testament. In the Old Testament, hope looks different to how it looks in the New Testament, doesn't it? In the Old Testament, maybe hope is a little bit more about exodus, freedom, retreat, defeating enemies. It's all about people on the run very often, the deliverance of Israel, the deliverance of the captives. And actually, there's something about that in us, isn't there? that wants to hope that we will be free from the enemies that we face. R.C. Sproul says this, Hope is not simply a wish, it is that which latches on to the promises of the future that God has made. 
Do we have a hope this morning that is latching on to God's promises no matter what? That like me hanging on that rope actually says, whatever is happening, I believe that you are good. I believe that you are for my life. And I believe that you will free me from my enemies. The enemies of sin, the enemies of distraction, as we said earlier. The enemies maybe of discouragement. Deliverance from our enemies. One of the Hebrew words for hope is tikvah. Tikva, I hope I've pronounced it, I have, I've rehearsed, uh, I hope I've uh, pronounced it right, but tikva, which means rope. Hope, meaning rope. It actually means something that you can hang on to no matter what. It's biblical. And in a lovely story in the book of Joshua, we hear about Rahab, uh, the prostitute. She's not a believer, and yet she sees some men of God come by. She hides them in her home, and they say when they leave her, they say, put a rope out, a rope of hope, a tikvah outside your household to say that you are trusting in the God of Israel, that you are trusting in us to come back, and when all of this is destroyed, that you and your household will stand. And not yet a believer, she thinks there's something going on in these people that actually ignites hope in me. There's something infectious about their hope and their confidence in God's deliverance that she catches. And she says, you know what, I will. I'll put out a rope of hope, a tikvah, that says, as for me and my household, we trust in you. We trust in Almighty God. I've been on ladies' conferences where I've spoken and I've actually given out a red rope of hope for people to put in their Bible. Not because it's saying everything's going to turn out just fine, but it's saying, as for me and my people, as for me and my crew, my household, my family, my friends, we're hoping and trusting in a God that is beyond this life, that is stronger than death, that is stronger than despair and discouragement. It defies what is happening in the human sphere that actually we say we hope. And I wondered today, as we look at the meaning of hope, meaning to bind together, to envelop, if you like, in one thread, that actually we remember that that rope, Rahab's rope, was a scarlet crimson rope that reminds us of blood, reminds us of the blood of Jesus, the lineage of that lady's hope led to our hope today. And actually, we have no idea what you do this week, what you pray this week, what you do, how you bless, how you are kind, how you are forgiving this week, echoes in eternity. It's not just about the here and now. I had a moment this week where I felt really discouraged because I'd gone and done something that I really hoped would have meant a lot to someone. And I'd, I'd perhaps gone out of my way to do it, and I realized that it really wasn't enough for them what I'd done, and they, they more or less said that. And I came back into my office, and I was like, Lord, why am I never enough? And he said, because you're not. <laughs> you know, <laughs> no offense, but I'm not. I never will be. None of us will be. It's about what God is doing now and eternally. And actually, God saw what I did, and he saw my heart. And that is really where we can get our confidence. There's a lovely story that some of you will know about the missionary. It's a twofold story and it makes me a bit upset. But it's the story of someone who 20 years served as a missionary overseas. Went from America, had a church that prayed for him, sent him out, loved him, said it's fantastic what you're doing, go, brilliant. And he went. But for 20 years he was absent from them. 
and just quietly serving the gospel in a very, very poor area of Kampala, working away. And uh, he came back to America. And on his return to America, and this is a, maybe an apocryphal story, I don't know, but on his return to America, uh, that they started to reach the shore and there was a band playing and there were flags out and there was bunting and there were welcome banners. And he thought, oh my goodness, after 20 years, they didn't forget me. They didn't forget me. The hope, if you like, is right there. He can see it and there's a band playing and as he gets closer, he thinks, wow, this is so lovely. What a homecoming. And actually, on the same ship is uh, a member of the presidential elect that is coming back. It's to do with the president. It's not to do with him at all. He walks past and there's no one there to meet him. Nobody there. And he gets into his motel room. He falls to his knees in the story. And he says, Lord, 20 years serving you overseas in real hardship. I went off with such blessing and I've come back empty. I've come back with nothing. And he says, where was my homecoming? And he heard the Lord say, you're not home yet, son. You're not home yet. And there's two things about that. One is that encouragement, our hope is not in this world, it is in the next. The things that you do that went unseen, went unthanked, went unnoticed, even perhaps got misinterpreted, maybe even got criticized. God sees the heart. He sees your heart. And there is an eternal inheritance that doesn't tarnish, that doesn't that doesn't burn out. The Bible says that the hope and inheritance that we have in God is an eternal one, that the things in this life that might not pan out the way that we look for or works out, actually in eternity there is treasure ahead for those who believe. There is treasure for that man in heaven, beautiful treasure for all that he did. Now, I have a problem with the story, as you can imagine, because I think people should have been there uh, to thank him, because we need human encouragement, we do, and uh, you are a massive encouragement to one another but it is a story about a world that is beyond this one and the fact that we live to please Christ rather than man and I think that is something that we will always be adjusting to there's another beautiful story of hope that you will know in the Bible with Abraham and Sarah Sarah's original name was Sarai Sarai means distress she was distressed because she was barren And yet a promise was given her that she would be mother to a nation and a generation beyond that. And she believed it. She believed that promise for years. And then the promise started to wane. She even overheard the voice of God saying to her husband that they would have a child. And what do we hear she did? She laughed. She laughed because she thought that's impossible And she laughed. And actually, she even, she and Abraham, thought of another way of fulfilling that promise because their their hope started to wane. Their hope started to wither. Their hope maybe got diverted to the promise and not to the God of the promise. And actually, God had to redirect them in his grace, in his loving mercy. I love the fact that she laughs, and he doesn't rebuke her for it. He actually uses even that redemptively because what does Isaac mean? Isaac means laughter, that actually she laughs and God is faithful, that she can't believe that the promise will still happen in her lifetime, and yet God is true to his promises. Now, I wanted to say something a bit personally here, because... We have had disappointment in our lives, haven't we? And somehow that can shape our view of God. 
Uh, I was, as some of you know, in a relationship for 10 years with a guy. We had uh, ministry, we had prophecies over us that we would make it, even though he was, he was really quite unwell. And I clung to those promises for years. I would quote them at my family if they tried to say, Judy, isn't it about time that uh, you moved on? Uh, I even took him back against all their advice once because of these promises. So when it didn't work out, and a lot of you will know this in your own stories, you think, well, is then God the God that he says he is? Is he the God of those promises? And I've realized with hindsight that one of the things that happened during those years is my faith got diverted into the promise and not the God of the promise. Does that make sense? So I was following God no matter what, as long as he did what he'd said he was going to in the way that I thought he was going to do it. That did not happen, and it would be disingenuous of me to say that it did. But am I as sure as ever that he is true, that he is faithful, that he is a God that can be trusted, that he is a God that I can hope in I am? And that has been a journey for me, as some of you will know, but I believe that that's because I know God is for me. And I think once we get our heads and our hearts around that, everything changes. And actually, as Tim Keller says, sometimes unanswered prayers are because God is saving us when it feels like he's killing us. And, and we know that, don't we, when we look back. But at the time, our hope is dashed. And we say when Paul says, no one who's hoping you will ever be put to shame, you think, well, that's funny because that's how this feels. But actually, no, we won't be. The persecuted church is a beautiful but painful example of that, isn't it? People who, despite everything, say, no, as for me, I'm still putting my hope in a God that ultimately will not disappoint me, even when the things of life bewilder us and confuse us. And actually, just be wary. If things have been said over your life, if promises have been made, to just look at the God of the promise, look at the heart behind the promise rather than just using the promise itself scripture is full of beautiful examples Abraham and Sarah shows that the waiting is part of the journey it's part of their testimony it's part of the beauty of it and hope if you think of a rope is all that is weaved into it the tick for everything is weaved in to our journeys of hope both our disappointments the things that we struggle with Paul talks about endurance in suffering in Psalm 25, we have these words, do not let me be put to shame, nor let my enemies triumph over me. No one whose hope is in you will ever be put to shame. If we live for another world, we have an eternal inheritance. And even if we might have fleeting shame, fleeting mockery, fleeting bullying even here on this earth, it is nothing compared to the treasure that is ahead of us. The scarlet cord of Rahab that she puts outside of her house leads ultimately through the lineage to Jesus, who is our hope. Hebrews says he's our anchor. He's our anchor, he's our rope, he's our anchor, he's our freedom. And in the Old Testament, yes, it was to do with deliverance from our enemies, but really, what is our enemy? New Testament gospel. It's the sin in our own hearts. It's the sin in the world, isn't it? That's our greatest enemy. And we see it daily as we look at the news and as we read the news. The, the enemy is evil. The enemy is sinful. The enemy is the author of lies, despair, discouragement, distraction. So why are we coming to pray on Friday? 
as a sign of hope, as a sign of defiance that says, actually, we believe in a God who is able, who is bigger than all of these discouragements. How many people intend to be there on Friday night for some of the time or... Brilliant, brilliant. I cannot thank you enough. We're going to try and stream it. I don't make that as a promise because it may not happen. Technically, we're a bit bewildered by it, but people have asked for it. So if it happens, brilliant. But there's no substitute, really, if you can be there. I think it will be a great night. It will be a night where we, as a church, together across all the sites, say we are hoping, as for us, we hope in a hope that doesn't fade, that won't be put out, a light that the darkness won't put out. We'll be praying for healing at that time. We'll be praying for marriages. We'll be praying for mental health across our youth and and wider. Uh, We'll be praying for the things that God lays on your hearts as you come. And we'll be worshipping God in that place. And I'm excited about it. And I'm excited about the fact that it came out of pain. But I believe that it will be a night where actually our horizon starts to shift again to the vision that God has given for us. We were at uh, a brilliant conference yesterday, some of us, uh, where we heard Roy Goodwin talk about some of the revival that's been going on in Wales, and particularly in the place I can't pronounce. Where's Harry? Falder Brennan. Uh, and uh, this retreat centre in Falderbrennan, uh, they've been praying, uh, they've had these communities and houses of prayer, and they've seen incredible things. He's written a book called A Grace Outpouring. And uh, he was there to talk, it wasn't hyped up, it wasn't weird, it wasn't flaky. I went with a little bit of a kind of foot in both camps, thinking, okay, what's this going to be like? What a humble, beautiful man. And uh, he just talked miracle after miracle of what God is doing there. Uh, Some have been healed, some haven't. We know that that's mysterious. But there's one story that stood out for me of a lady who was terminally ill and uh, she'd been bedridden and uh, her final wish was that somebody, a dear friend who wasn't a believer, I don't think, would drive her to the place that Harry just said. And um, what's it called again? Felderbrennan. Felderbrennan. And um, so this friend said, well, you know, it's it's literally going to kill her. To travel that long in a car, she will die in my car. That's how ill she was. But she said, I want to go. So he said to the doctor, you know, is is this wise to do this? Is this a wise move? And uh, he very wisely said, well, she may well die in your car, but it is her dying wish. So you either deny her her dying wish or you go along with it. So he had the car all laid out, put duvets and pillows for her in the back, had her lying in the back and drove all the way there, looking in his rearview mirror to see if she was still okay. And he said what was absolutely incredible is that as the journey went on hour by hour, she became stronger and stronger and stronger. And instead of dying, she became more alert, more now. Hope is an amazing thing, isn't it? That her hope was to get there. And so actually, hope, which is one of the things that even the body needs, she started to regroup. She started to show signs of strengthening. And actually, she got there, and when she got there, she walked in. She walked in, and this guy must have just been absolutely blown away. But actually, Roy Goodwin was there. They were having a prayer time. And at the prayer time, he said, there's someone who's come here wanting a miracle here today. And he said, I just feel very strongly that I need to say to you, it's already happened. It happened the minute you set out to come here. And he never knew. He just knew that the Lord had spoken that. He didn't know who that was for that day. He just said it, and that was that. And that lady was healed. 
She was made well. She was restored in this life. We all know that we'll be healed ultimately, but in this life, she was restored. And she couldn't stop, as we heard a few weeks ago, she couldn't then stop going out. She asked to go into the pubs to talk about it. Interestingly, the pubs said yes, the church said no. I was a bit floored by that. I thought, my goodness, I was. I thought, now I have to really think if someone came to me and said, oh, this has happened, where would my thinking be? It stretched me, but I love that. Because that's hope, that's faith, that's a story that's real. It's not made up, it's not dodgy, it's not flaky, it happened. Because someone said, as for me, whether I live or die, this is what, I, this is what I feel I've been asked to do. And actually, through the ministry of the Holy Spirit, came hope and healing. Paul says that actually, through the work of the Spirit, our hope can overflow. That's not a cross-your-fingers hope for the best. That's a deposit of his spirit in us. That even when we were worshipping, and I just thought the, the band led us beautifully, in that moment where the Holy Spirit was amongst us before I got to speak, I just thought hope is alive in us through the spirit. Even through us being in his presence in stillness and in silence, he refuels our hope. And what then do we do? We share it. You know, if Roy had kept that to himself, if he'd thought that sounds a bit of a stupid thing to say, um, he wouldn't have said it. But actually, he spoke that out. And we know that actually that woman's healing started as soon as the friend put her in faith in the car. Hope in Christ. At the beginning of 1 Peter 1, the very first verse, Peter, who saw the resurrected Jesus, said, where is our hope? It's Jesus. He is our hope. So not only is our hope a rope, not only is it an anchor, our hope is Jesus. Our hope is in him, in his teachings, and in the fact that he came back from the debt and said, do you know what? We have a hope that is stronger than death. And as we come to the end of Easter, as we think about that, what does that, as Sandy prayed earlier, what does that resurrection hope look like for you and I? What does it look like for us as a church as we want to bless this city, as we want to share the news of the living hope that we have in Christ? Paul says this, May the God of all hope fill you with joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Yes, it's an act of collaboration with the Spirit. Yes, in the Bible, it's not passive, it's active. You only have to look at Paul to see that that's hope in action. It's an irrepressible hope. It's that bird perched in the soul that Emily Dixon talks about that, that couldn't stop singing. We hear that from the persecuted church. Actually, people that can't stop singing, people locked in a container, Helen Bahani, if you read her book, trapped in a container because of refusing to deny Jesus. And what do they hear her doing? Singing praises to Jesus. That's the story in our lifetime of the hope that will not be put out, the hope that says we live for another world, that actually even the things that we don't understand in this life, that we've done faithfully believing in God, are part of an inheritance that will not fade, that will not wither. Romans 5 says, we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character hope. <laughs> no punctuation whatsoever in this, sorry. <laughs> Hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. In other words, why do we not get disappointed in hope? Because he loves us. 
because even the things that go wrong in this life are not a sign of his lack of love for us. Sometimes they're that very love in action, as I would testify in my life. C.S. Lewis says this as we come to a close. I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen, not only because I see it, but because by it I see everything else. I love that. I love it. How can one man have said so many stunning things? Do you ever think that with him? I mean, I know Jesus did, but apart from that, everything I read that C.S. Lewis wrote, I can just Google his quotes and just keep going through thinking, how did how did he do that? Um, it's just incredible. But what a beautiful statement that actually it's not that just we believe in this resurrection hope, it's that by it we see the life that we're in, that we see it differently, that even in my week when I wanted encouragement here, actually, yes, it came, but far, far greater is the encouragement that actually everything we do in Christ's name now has treasure in the life beyond this one. This is fleeting. And actually what the Old Testament people didn't see in the way that the New Testament writers didn't see is that actually it's not just deliverance from the now, it's deliverance eternally through Christ. That that scarlet rope of hope is Christ, that we cling to. The rock is another way that, that he is described. Jesus Christ is himself our hope. There's an old hymn that was written by Wendy Churchill, not Winston Churchill, but Wendy Churchill. And uh, it's an old hymn that uh, I grew up hearing my, uh, my parents sing. Um, and it says this, it's called Jesus is King. We have a hope that is steadfast and certain, gone through the curtain and touching the throne. We have a priest who is there interceding, pouring his grace in our lives day by day. I wonder if you'd stand with me if you're able to. If not, then do please just uh, maybe stretch out a hand uh, just as another gesture that we're open uh, to the refilling, the refueling of this hope in our lives. I'd love to pray for us. Lord, we just declare that the light shines in the darkness and the darkness will not overcome it. And Lord, we put our hope afresh in you, faithful God who is good, who loves us, who pours out his grace into our lives. We give you our pain. We give you the disappointments. We give you the hurts and discouragements. And we say, like that rope of hope, would you weave those through endurance, through perseverance, would you weave them in to the hope that is our lives, the hope of heaven. Lord, that as we endure, that as we persevere through suffering, hope rises in us because of your Spirit. Holy Spirit, in every heart here today, would you fan into flame hope in our lives? Would we be known as a people of resilient hope who live for a kingdom beyond this one, who live for your glory, who live even through personal trials and tribulations, knowing that there is a hope to come, the hope of heaven. Lord, we're pilgrims of hope here in this place. Help us trust in that overflow of hope that comes as we worship you. In the powerful name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.